1: Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I am your host, Rich Lumello. My guest today won 48 times on the LPGA Tour, including three major championships. She also played on the Solheim Cup winner and captained another. She's in the LPGA and the World Golf Halls of Fame. She was the LPGA Player of the Year three times and the AP Athlete of the Year two times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Nancy Lopez. Nancy, welcome to Chasing Hardware. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you on. Um, Nancy, as you know, what I like to do is just, you know, kind of talk about where you grew up and your high school years and, you know, kind of your early influences, and then take it from there. Okay. So um, in your case, you're born in California, but you're you're basically raised in Roswell, New Mexico. Um, and you go to Goddard High School in Roswell, where there is no girls golf team, Correct. so you're on the boys golf team, um, and you, you win two state titles with the boys team, um, and you also win three straight New Mexico women's amateurs. Um, I'd love to you know, just kind of hear about growing up and your family situation and, and, um, and obviously your high school years in, in New Mexico.
2: Well, you know, first of all, we only won one state championship that I can remember. Now, it could be out of my memory banks, but I only remember when, uh, oh, with, me on, with me on the team, we won one. <laughs> okay.
1: um,
2: but, um, yeah, you know, going back to when I, I was growing up, I um, yeah, I was born in California, shipped to New Mexico pretty quickly, lived there all my life until I went off went off to school at Tulsa University. Um, but I played on the boys' golf team uh, after and as it started, I wasn't on the boys golf team at the very beginning. I was on ju- junior varsity because girls uh, were not allowed to play uh, in, as they said, sports that were body contact sports. So we obviously golf is not a body contact sport. And so in those days, you know, w- women, girls didn't really have the opportunity to play on a boys golf team. But. Um, a civil liberties union lawyer named uh, Roberto Ramos from Albuquerque, New Mexico reached out to my dad and asked me if I wanted to plan the boys golf team. And he said, yes. And she, you know, pretty much got on the phone with me and asked me if I would like to, you know, try and and make that happen. And, you know, I, I really didn't want the boat to get rocked. I just said, yeah, I would love to plan the boys golf team. And so she went to the board of education Uh, and said, you know, why can't Nancy play on the boys' golf team? There's not a girls' golf team. And if she's good enough to play with the boys, why can't she? Because golf is not a body contact sport. And it pretty much just stayed with the Board of Education because she was gonna take it to court if um, they didn't allow me to play on the boys' golf team uh, with everything that was happening, no girls' golf team. And if I was good enough and qualified, I should be able to play. So it passed and they changed it. And so I was able to play on the boys golf team. I I did qualify. I was only fourth person on the team. Um, We had a really good golf team, had some really good, good uh, male players. And so that's how it kind of started in high school. It gave me the opportunity to play on the boys golf team, which really and truly when I was playing with the guys, my golf game got better faster because I was playing with players that were better than me. And that's what my dad always told me to do. He said, always play with players that are better than you because you'll get better. And uh, he
1: was absolutely right. Uh, Interesting. And, and you, I guess, I guess even really before you got to high school, you competed in and won the New Mexico women's amateur. You were 12 the first time you won. And then you won again when you were 13 and 14. What was that experience like? I mean, I'm assuming you were playing against women. Oh,
2: yes, I was. And um, when I well, when I started playing at the state championship, I was 10 and I qualified, I think maybe second fight, um, didn't win that fight. Um, <clears throat> and then as I kept playing in, my dad kept giving me the opportunity to play in the women's state, New Mexico women's state amateur. Um, I, you know, qualified for championship fight that year that I was 12 and then ended up winning and Mary Bryan, who, play, who did, uh, uh, golf uh commentary um i beat her and she was from new mexico i beat her in that final match i think it was nine and eight but it was 36 whole final oh, wow. um and she i think she just turned 75 today and i'm 65 so she was 10 years older than i was right um so i i think too when i look back at those days i kind of look now as an older player how um, they were probably a little upset that there was a twelve-year-old that was playing in the women's state amateur, and probably didn't like it very much at that time. Um, and so, you know, I think there were a few issues then too when I was playing on with the women. Uh, they were they were kind of fighting that you know maybe we should have an age limit uh, for a player that can play in the women's state
1: amateur, but it never changed. I think they talked about it though a few times. Right. Um, and and while you're in high school. And playing on the boys team, um, and you you play in two U.S. Women's Opens uh, while still in high school, and you come in second. Was it your senior year in high school? Uh, my senior year in high school. Yeah. T- tell me about that experience. That must have been incredible.
2: Well, I was. It was in Atlantic City, um, New Jersey, and um, my mom and dad were with me. And you know, I knew I was going off to school. <clears throat> but um, when I played there, I got to play with some of my favorites. Joanne Carner was my idol as I got to play with her that week. Um, I believe Sandra Palmer won that US uh, Women's Open. Um, and it was just a great experience for me as an amateur because I got to play with players that I, I kind of watched on TV because we didn't have a lot of golf uh, covered on television. Um, but be able to get there and kind of get the feel of professional golf, even though I was going off to college. Um, I think what I remember the most was walking down the driving range and seeing all these really beautiful, great, big professional bags. And I saw all the rep, reps giving them free golf balls and free golf gloves. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Because <laughs> as an amateur, you couldn't get anything free because then they, they declared you professional back in those days um and and of course my husband would say was that before electricity he always kind of teases me when I say that um but it was such a neat experience to be able to compete uh, with the professionals um and it was a, it was a great experience for me because I think it, it made me realize how how good they were and how far I needed to get to be able to to compete
1: against them right and and you could you come i mean so you're competing with them you come in second <laughs> your, your senior year i mean is there a time is there a point in that final round where you're thinking i could do this were you thinking that the whole way or were you tell me your mindset then
2: yeah you know when i stop and think about it i'm I, I really can't remember what i was feeling i just knew that i was enjoying the moment and playing and uh, was playing pretty good um and i think when you're playing with, I know when I play with Carner, even though she is my idol, I wanted to beat her. So I, I wanted to show her how good I was. So it was fun playing. It was fun, uh, you know, being able to hit those good shots when I needed to, uh, making good putts um, and just really competing head to head with these ladies. Um, so the excitement of that was, was I, I and I probably said, gosh, if I would have been playing for money, I would have made a little bit of money that week. Um, being finishing second but of course it, it wasn't a lot of money back then either um, okay. because I remember finishing second um, before I turned professional in July of 77 I finished second at Hazeltine behind Hollis Stacey and second and because I was a declared professional I got the second place, tro- uh, sec- second place money which was $7,500 uh, second
1: place back then it's amazing. Second place in the US Open, $7,500. Um, and your your, your dad, uh, Domingo? Domingo. Mm-hmm. Domingo ran a like a auto repair shop. Yeah. Auto body repair shop. Yeah. Auto body repair shop and had a passion for golf. Yes. Um, and I just, I, I, you know, kind of picked up a couple of funny anecdotes along the way. You were not to do dishes around the house. Because your hands were meant for golf.
2: <laughs> That's what he you would did, tell your mom. He didn't want
1: my calluses to
2: get soft. So he, we would play to see who's going to do the dishes. Of course, even though he lost, he didn't do the dishes. My mom did. <laughs> <laughs> but I know when he told my mom, Nancy's not washing dishes, she wasn't real happy about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he really, um, I played so much and practiced so much. I did have pretty good calluses on my hands. And he just didn't want
1: them to get soft when I was if I was going to wash dishes. Right. That's, that's great. And um, you you also, I mean, you talk about Prescient. He knew you were going to be a star. And money, I, I don't want, I mean, you, I'll let you characterize it, but it sounds like there wasn't a ton of money around. And yet he insisted on getting you braces because, yeah. I like think his quote was, she's going to be a public figure. You know, we want her teeth to look good. Yeah. Um I mean, that's amazing.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the, w- my dad, he was, uh, he worked really hard. And, um, you know, he was a, a big budgeter. And of course he always said, you know, if you can't afford to pay cash for whatever you're getting, you can't get it. And that's pretty much the way he lived our lives as I was growing up. And, and when he would bring home a paycheck, he pretty much put money aside for household stuff, for um, my mom to, to, if she needed something. And then there was a pile left for Nancy's golf tournaments that summer. So I could only play in two tournaments this summer because it was just too expensive. Because my mom had to travel with me at that time, um, so he, uh, you know, it was it was a big thing that he wanted to save money to give me that opportunity to play in some events uh, when I could. Right. Um, so you know that was pretty much understood. And um, but you know I was happy to be able to do that. It was it was a great experience for me playing amateur golf during the summertime. And um, and dad really was going to make that happen.
1: Yeah. And it's funny in, in that pile of money that they set aside for you, there had to have been a little carve out for Barbie dolls because I heard that of the various incentives. Yeah. One of them for you was Barbie dolls.
2: Yeah, I am. I, um, I played with my Barbie dolls. So I was probably 12, maybe 13. Um, and, and we really couldn't afford to buy them. Um, but I know that um, Whenever I went to a golf tournament, my dad said, If you play good, you know, I'll buy you a new Barbie doll. And he did. Whenever I played good, he'd buy me a new Barbie doll. Then it was like, Buy some clothes. And um, I remember uh, going on, uh, gosh, what was the talk show? uh, Phil Douglas. I can't remember who Phil Donahue. Phil, no, no, it wasn't Phil Phil Donahue. Mike Um, Douglas. Mike Douglas. Mike Douglas. That's who it was. Anyway, I got on, uh, I got to be on his TV show and I wish I could find the videos from that, but he presented me with a Barbie doll um, and it had the logo that, that represented his company on the chest of the Barbie doll on the clothes that she was wearing. So it was pretty cool as I started collecting Barbie dolls and, and my, one of my Barbie dolls was in the uh, world golf hall of fame in St. Augustine um, and cool. it was probably one of the very first ones my dad gave me.
1: Oh, that's, that's very cool. Um, I have to, and I I guess I have to ask this question too, in your, in your high school years, you got invited by Bing Crosby to go play at Pebble beach. Was it part of the pro-am or was that separate from that?
2: It was, uh, it was no, no, I played with um, one of the PGA professionals and I could not tell you who it was. Cannot remember. Uh, But he invited two, two female amateurs Uh, We were both 15. Marianne Breton was the other um, amateur and we got to play and it was like incredible to be able to go there. And um, my first practice round or my practice round there was with uh, Arnold Palmer and Mark McCormick. So both Marianne and I got to play with them in a practice round, which, you know, when you're young, you know who Arnold Palmer is and you're excited. But I wasn't really nervous that I can remember. It was just fun being able to to meet him and play golf with him.
1: Yeah, which is especially incredible. And I I didn't know that's who you had played or you practiced with. But um, you literally cannot read an article about you where they don't talk about comparing you to Arnold Palmer as, you know, kind of ambassadors of the game historically. Uh, so that must have been pretty neat. I mean, at that point, you probably had no idea that you were going to be in that conversation, but still pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, and and for the listener, Mark McCormick, um, basically the first sports agent, he he and, and Arnold Palmer would have a handshake deal every year where he would represent Arnold and yeah. it became IMG. And then, you know, the, the the idea of sports agencies, you know, kind of took off just out of curiosity. Was he your agent? Did he become your That's- agent?
2: He did. I signed a contract with IMG when I was 19 Um, and then it started my career with them and um, pretty much, I mean, all my career was with them until just a few years ago that I'm not with them anymore. But yeah, they, they were the top management group at that time and um, they did well for me and I did well for them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's probably the perfect relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, and then, so you're, you're coming out of high school in New Mexico. You've won amateurs. You've won, you won the, the U S women's, was it the U S women's amateur or the U S women's Western amateur? You won uh,
2: the Western amateur. I never won the U
1: S amateur U S women's Western amateur. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, and then you choose to go. And at this point, a lot of women golfers, a lot of men golfers too, are not, Playing college golf, they're just you know kind of coming out of high school and maybe you know playing on a second tour and then going pro. You decide to go to college and play for Tulsa. What what was the thinking there? You know, kind of how did you choose Tulsa and what was the thinking there? Because you'd obviously had success at the U.S. Open,
2: right? I am, you know, after high school, I wanted to go to college, Um, and a lot of people were saying you you ought to turn professional. You're good enough to turn professional, but. I didn't really think I was good enough to turn professional. I wanted to play amateur golf a little bit longer and I wanted to get an education. Cause I, for me, even at a young age, I felt like I had enough sense to realize that if I didn't make it in professional golf, I was going to have to make a living. So in those at that time, I know title nine had, had already passed, but there really were no scholarships for girls. And that was in 19, um, or 1975. And, um, I remember wanting to go to school. I wanted to go to Arizona state and Arizona state would not give me a scholarship at all, nothing. And um, so uh, I ended up winning the Colgate Palmolive golf scholarship. David Foster was a big advocate for women's golf and uh, he had a scholarship. And so I ended up winning that scholarship, which paid for part of my scholarship. And then Tulsa university was starting up a girls golf uh, team and uh, Dale McNamara was going to be the coach of that team. And they offered me the other half of the scholarship. So I had a full ride with two different scholarships, but no one would give you a full full ride anywhere that I could find. So I kind of told my dad if I didn't find any place that would give me a scholarship, I was not going to go to school. And I would have done something else at that time, at least to get ready, maybe for the tour. Um, right. So I ended up going to Tulsa trying to get a degree in engineering, which was really, really tough. Um, but I figured that'd be a good way to make a living. I didn't know what field I was going to go into. I was taking basic classes, but it was tough. And playing on the girls' golf team and traveling all the time was was tough. I had tutors teaching me all, all my classes and catching me up uh, with what was going on. But after two years, the university pretty much said you have got to you know, elevate your scores a little bit or your grades. Cause I was making straight C's, um, which like I guess I think was pretty good, um, but that wasn't good for them. So I had to make a choice after two years of playing collegiate golf and trying to get a degree, or at least starting a degree in engineering, I had to kind of make a choice. And I felt like I called my dad and said, dad, I, I think I'm going to have to try the tour now. I think I'm ready. Cause I've won a lot of collegiate events and, um, I felt like maybe I was ready for the tour, and and um, so I decided to go on the tour in 1977.
1: Yeah, and and it's amazing, um, you know, for those that don't remember, NCAA did not cover women's sports back at that point. It was AIAW. Right. Um, whether, whether you're looking at you know you know basketball champions from the early 70s or golf, like you you win, you win basically the national title for uh, for collegiate golf as an individual. But it was AIAW, not NCAA. That was still a couple of years away. Um, But you, in your two years at Tulsa, you play 19 tournaments. You win 11, which is unbelievable. You win the national title as an individual. And then after you leave, you kind of, I think I saw Dale McNamara say that you were the catalyst for, I think they went on and won another like three or four national championships after you left. So you kind of got that program up and running along with her.
2: Yeah, she did a great job with that program, and and she made it very attractive for other players to come there to Tulsa. You know, it was so much fun playing collegiate golf for me because, you know, golf is such an individual sport. Even though I did play on a boys' high school team, playing on a girls' team was really, really fun, and uh, Furman was a big uh, – you know, we competed against them and, you know, Beth Daniels on that team and Betsy King and Sherry uh, Turner. And so there was a lot of great players on that team and we never won the national championship in college. They, they ended up beating us, Furman did, but it was, I mean, there were some good golfers at that time and it was, and it was fun to be able to compete against them. And then of course we all went to the LPGA tour and competed there also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true outside of, like the Solheim cup and a few other things. It's like the one time where you were on a women's team. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, I picked up some, some funny stories along the way. First of all, was it a yellow grand Torino or orange grand Torino? Yeah. Yellow, yellow, grand it. Torino. It very yellow, bright yellow. <laughs> and your, your nickname was screech. Cause you peeled uh. out a parking lot so fast.
2: Yeah, it was, ske- it was skeech. Everyone said so you sure wasn't screech. I said no, it was skeech. Um, so because I, it was like when the girls got and we we're going to go practice. We we kind of peel out the parking lot. So of course we're burning rubber, <laughs> and so that's how I got my name. And I, I swear, my mom and dad got me that yellow Torina so they could spot me anywhere in New Mexico when I was driving around. They wanted to be able to
1: watch me where <laughs> I was going. <laughs> that's pretty funny. And. And actually, before we get to the, to the LPGA days, um, two, two last things about your New Mexico time. First of all, your, your dad brings you, and I'm fascinated how this was pulled together. Your dad brings you to meet with Lee Trevino when you're a young golfer to have him take a look at your swing. And he basically says, Lee Trevino basically says, don't touch it. It's the perfect way it is. No. How, how did your dad know Lee Trevino? And, and tell me about that experience. Lee
2: came to our hometown and did a clinic Oh, okay. and we went to the clinic uh, at the New Mexico Military Institute is where that clinic was was happening and um, you know we watched Lee and then because everyone talked about how unorthodox my swing was um, my dad went up to Lee and said will you please look at my daughter's swing and of course it was unorthodox but the, the thing that that really um was important to me. And and I stuck with it as long as I had my career. When Lee watched me swing, he said, if it works, don't change it. And so if there was something that needed to be changed during my whole career, I might've changed a few things and tweaked it. But I always remember that if it's, if it worked, don't change it. And, you know, it's amazing. I mean, I look at, I look at Tiger Woods and how good he was, but yet he still tried to be better And I think if he would have just left it alone during that time that that he kind of he cooled off for a little bit, he was trying to get better. If he would have just stayed the same because it was still working. It was wasn't like it wasn't working that that he probably even would have won more
1: tournaments during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I think he he I think he won his first Masters and then it was kind of two and a half years until he won the PGA. And in that time, he totally redid his swing. Yeah. I remember thinking, my God, you just won the Masters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then and then later when you're at Tulsa, at one point, Lee Trevino, who you've now obviously met, comes and I don't know if he was doing a, a clinic in Tulsa or something like that, but uh, the Tulsa women's golf team needed some beer. And so <laughs> Lee, Lee helped you out. I, on I didn't drink. Course. So he oh, got okay. the rest of the girls beer. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's great. Um, that's funny. Uh, so, so then, so then you make the decision to, to, go pro and, um, and sadly your mom is Marina. Yes. Yeah. So she, she, she dies in, in, in in 1977 as kind of your turning pro. Um, and I, we, we don't have to get into that all that much except for, um, it, I remember reading somewhere where you were quoted as saying something like, it's, it's just so sad, like, right as things were taking off for me, you know, this happens. Yeah. But she, I think you said that afterwards, you got a mental toughness out of that experience that you took with you through your <clears throat> through your career. T- tell me a little bit about that.
2: Well, you yeah, my mom passed away in September um, after I got my card in July. And she had complications with a burst appendix, which back in those days, they didn't even know what that was. I don't think because they did exploratory surgery on her. And um, we thought she was going to make it through it and and do fine. And unfortunately, I was not there when she passed away. I was playing in the tournament in Dallas. Um, so I went home and it was really a tough time because I was 19 years old. And, you know, you never think about losing your mom at 19 and, Um, what was, what was cute about my mom was I finished second in in many of the first few events that I played in. And I remember calling her and telling her I finished second. I think it was the third time I finished second. And she said, when are you going to (laughs) win? And I don't think she realized how, how good I did. And the course was a long way from second. Um, But um, you know, she supported my career as an amateur and gave up uh, and sacrificed a lot for me to have what I did during my amateur time in the career. And when she passed away, my dad pretty much became my mom and he traveled with me and went with me to a lot of tournaments and, and participated. Um, so it was hard to, to lose your mom at such a young age. Um, I mean, I think about my three girls and what would they have done if I would have, if I would have passed away when they were 19, you know, just, it, it's, it's not something you want to have to deal with, but, um, yeah. but she was a great mom and she taught me a lot of things that I still carry with me. And, um, and she, she supported me through my amateur career. And then, and, and I, I wish that I could have been able to maybe pay her back for what she sacrificed. Cause I remember you know thinking if i make enough money i'm going to buy my mom and dad a nice house cuz we lived in an area that you know was it was a poor area and um you know my mom though and my dad kept our house in great shape you know it was all about you know taking care of things and they taught me that and um so i never really got to pay her back i never got to give her anything from the success that i had um in golf now my dad he was able to go a lot of places with me i remember flying over to england and um and uh the um oh gosh, the name what's the name of the plane that um uh the great Concorde? big plane that came out during huh? Concord. Concord, yeah. I went totally blank. Um <laughs> but I remember the Concord had just come out and I said to my dad, I said, Dad, do you want to fly home on the Concord? Because I could afford to pay for another ticket. For us, And he was so excited. So we flew home on the Concord. So I was able to do a lot of stuff with my dad that, you know, I I couldn't share with my mom. So it was fun to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned they kept a a, a nice house. Uh, Your college coach at Tulsa, when she was recruiting you, she talks about at length about how You know, she just couldn't believe how like upbeat you and your family were and everything was so cheerful. And she said that when she spent time in your house in New Mexico, her first thought was, oh, my God, I have to go home and wash my windows.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my mom was a clean freak. And unfortunately, I became her. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but but right. um, uh, I know my girls have had the wrath of me, but you know, keeping things clean and they didn't either, <laughs>
1: right? That's pretty funny. Um, so so you go pro and then you you burst on the scene in uh, let's let's call it '78 in a way that very few athletes in any sports have ever burst on the scene. Um, you win. You win early, and then you, in the course of 1978, where, oh, by the way, to set it up, you are the Rookie of the Year, the Player of the Year, and the Vail Champion, which is the low-score average. Vail Trophy. Yeah. Vale Trophy, and also the AP Athlete of the Year, and you win a major. You win the PGA. But during that year, you win nine tournaments to include five in a row. And I mean, that like took the nation by storm and, you know, TV at the time, LPGA was not getting a ton of TV coverage. There were break-ins in like basketball playoff games and hockey playoff games. You know, Nancy Lopez has just, you know, kind of won her third straight, her fourth straight. Uh, You're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Frank DeFord comes and does a piece on you. And you're, you're what, 21 at the time?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I just turned 20. Well,
1: was I 20? No, I was 20. You're 20. Yeah. Yeah. That's that must. I mean, and, you know, that would go to anybody's head. What was that period like? Because that's just insanity. Five straight champion tournaments. Uh, I, you know, it know. was it was, um,
2: you know, when you're tw- and, and I was really 20, you know, 20 now is like 40. But yeah. when I was 20, um, I was very naive in that, you know, this this whirlwind of, of golf and my life was, you know, I had to grow up very quickly because at age 20, when you're going into the press room, you know, you, you pretty much are thrown out to the wolves to figure out how to get through all that. And fortunately I was never really shy. So um, there, there was a good relationship between me and the press. When they asked me questions, I answered them. Um, But it was an exciting time and um, a time of, I mean, a lot of neat things happened, Um, you know, traveling uh, to to Japan, traveling to Europe, which were, those are were the only two places we went at that time. Um, you know, uh, a lot of accolades for what I was doing and a, a few perks that went on. And it was really, a, a, I mean, and now you're 20 years old and you're looking around going, wow, this is just awesome. And the, the pressure of playing golf wasn't pressure for me. I enjoyed it. Um, I liked winning. Uh, I enjoyed feeling pressure. Um, it, it was just a, a great time. And then, of course, then I was making money, which I didn't have any at one time. And, and I wanted to be able to do stuff for my father. Um, so it was really, um, you know, just a great time in my life. And um, being able to to win five in a row was, um, you know, it was fun trying to do it, um, you know, to to be able to play well and to be playing and beating some of the best players on the LPGA tour um so it was really a a great time in my life and and then of course then you have to deal with the rookie the second year after your rookie year um because the press was like you know are you a flash in the pan are you just lucky you know what happened and it it was kind of making me mad because I felt like I was a good player and so my second year when I when I came back out I was I was like I've got to prove to them that I'm not just a flash in the pan. And I ended up winning eight tournaments my second year on tour. And so that was kind of fun doing that too. But, you know, playing and making money and making a living and doing things for my dad were very important to me. So it was really, um, you know, I was very blessed. Um, God gave me, I feel like, I think people that that can accomplish stuff like that, they have to have some kind of God-given talent. And I felt like I had some of that. Um, but, you know, I really worked on my game. I worked hard. I wanted to win. I wanted to win. And right. I remember feeling that way since I was a young person playing um, with my dad that, you know, winning was going to be fun. And I wanted to be able to do that. So, you know, a lot of doors opened for me in those first couple of years on the LPGA Tour.
1: Yeah. And and then on into the 80s, you, you continue winning. Um, you're you're you know, racking up at least a couple of wins every year um and then in like 83 84 you kind of take half of each of those two years off because you have your first child Mm -hmm. um and which obviously is something that you know male athletes don't have to deal with um but then you come back in 85 and you are again the player of the year again the AP athlete of the year and you again win a major tell me what that was like and were, were any of the other players on the tour who to a person seemed to have adored you? I mean, it doesn't, you can't find a quote, you know, that's, that's contentious in any way. Was anybody like offering advice or did you kind of feel like you were one of the first who was trying to do something like this? What was that like?
2: There were a few players that were having children on the LPG tour. Um, the, the, I guess the most difficult thing was trying to find daycare. Um, and we didn't have daycare at that time. Uh, We had to pretty much, we traveled week to week and um, the volunteers would offer, you know, uh, somebody's name and say, this person could probably really be a good uh, babysitter for your child. But of course, you know, you just didn't know who you were leaving your kids with. So fortunately I was able to hire a full-time nanny to travel with me. And, um, and, you know, we went from tournament to tournament with Ashley, which Ashley was my first baby. And being able to juggle all of that was, um, I mean, it was easy for me, I guess, because I was a very structured person. But, um, but it was still, you know, still tough, but it was still good that I was able to bring her with me because when I was married to Ray, he just let her go with me, which is great. And then we would go home and we would go to baseball games. But Um, it was, um, it it was fun to have her with me and it was, it was settling to have a full-time nanny, um, which was expensive. I mean, when you're buying three tickets and two rooms and a rental car, but even though I got a car with the tournament, had to get another car so that they could go and do stuff instead of just staying at the hotel. Um, so there's a lot of juggling going on. Um, but it was fun to have, you know, Ashley with me. And then I had Aaron. And then uh, Smuckers ended up being um, uh, the sponsor for our daycare, which was great. And then they still are, and I'm sure there's a few other sponsors that are involved. But that opened the door, I think, for a lot of women to say, "Okay, now I can have my career and I can have daycare traveling with us," um, which made it a lot easier for the ladies to to have more children. We so we we ended up having a tour full of babies, um, right. because they could, and it was it was easy to. You know, to be able to take your kids there. So I had Ashley and Aaron, um, uh, almost three years apart. And then Tori came along, says so Ashley's 38. Now Aaron's 36 and Tori's going to be 31 this year. So there was a big, uh, big time span there between my second and third child. And, um, so Tori was able to use the Smuckers program. So whenever I carried her on tour with me, my nanny would stay at home with the other two because I wanted them to go to school, have a normal life, as normal sure. as it could be. And then uh, Tori travel with me and I would take her to daycare. So like mm-hmm. I said, there's a lot of juggling. Fortunately, I was able to handle all that and, and be able to still play golf and focus on what I was doing um, because I still wanted to play um, and compete. And I, and I know before I had Ashley, my first, I thought, well, once I have my first baby, I'm probably going to retire. And after I had Ashley, I, I just never felt like retiring. I still was very competitive. And um, and I think I kind of asked myself, could I win after I had a baby? Because when you're a mom, you change internally. So there's a different feeling. Um, you know, it's not all about you anymore. And now you've got this little baby and and all these different feelings and you kind of soften a little bit. And I, and I didn't know for sure if I had that, that tiger inside of me to be able to go out and win again. And fortunately, I, I still was very competitive and I was able to do
1: that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said, you, you have your first child and you turn around and win a major and you're player of the year, you have your second child, you come back in the late eighties in 88. Again, you're the player of the year in 89, you win another major after your second. So yeah, the, the winning just continued, you know, after each one and, and, and what, I guess it was the early nineties. You had your third daughter. Yeah. Tori. Yeah. Tori, yeah, okay.
2: early 90s. yeah.
1: And then, and then had four more wins after that. So uh, in fact, I, I read, I'm, I'm going to forget who the player was, but one player was talking about you're in a tournament. Obviously you, you've got at least one of your children at that point, And there's a, um, a storm hits and so you're playing and it's it's nancy the competitor trying to win and obviously you're playing against you know whoever your playing partner is and then the storm hits and everybody has you you guys have to get in a van and they keep you out on the course and you're with your baby and so all of a sudden she says it's surreal like i'm competing with this woman now all of a sudden she's in the van she's a mom she's singing to the baby and all that stuff and then the storm ends baby goes back back on the golf course and like the competitor again and she said it was just surreal seeing like this you know shift um but obviously you did it pretty well Uh, so um and and then and i've always been fascinated and the rules have changed but it was always said that the hardest hall of fame to get into was the women's golf the lpga hall of fame because you had to win 35 tournaments which is just such a crazy barrier to set um, and as a result, for a long time, there just weren't that many members. I think, if, if I remember correctly, you were the 11th, I think, to make it in. Yes. Um, well, and- you know, the criteria was, was it was more than
2: just that. It was, um, if you won 30 tournaments in two different majors, you could get in. But I, I kept winning the LPGA championship. I had won 30, but I won the LPGA championship the same. You had to win two different majors. I was winning the same major. Okay. And then, so then you could win 35 with one major, which the three that I won became one. Right. Um, or if you didn't win any majors, you had to win 40 LPGA events with no majors. So the criteria was pretty tough. Now it's a point system. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know when I won my first tournament, I wasn't thinking I'm going to get in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. because it was so far away. I mean, you never thought... I never thought I would win 40 tournaments, um, or if I even, you know, didn't win another major or anything, but cause it was just really far fetched almost. I felt like, so they ended up changing, uh, to a point system, which I was, I was part of that and some aspect and talking about it at the time that it was changing. Um, okay. of course I didn't want to change it cause I was in the hall of fame. When I
1: you were over the wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I just I always remember that hearing like that was the toughest Hall of Fame to get into because it was just yeah, the, it is. so yeah, high. you're
2: not voted in you you have to earn it.
1: Um, and then in 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 1990, you are on the Solheim Cup team. Was that the first Solheim Cup? Yes,
2: 1990 was the first one. It was at, um, at Lake Nona
1: in okay. the, outside of Orlando. OK. And, and you guys win and you go two and one and for the most part that's the first time you've been on a team since since your tulsa days what was that experience like i mean you look at the list it's a who's who of, of women's golf uh, for both you and the europeans so what, what was that like uh playing on that team
2: um it, what we i was very nervous because uh, now i'm on a team and i'm representing my country um and i i think you know that first one was really an experience because nobody knew what was going to happen, how it was going to work. You know, we didn't have a lot of fans out there. We had some, but not nothing like it is now. Um, And so, you know, playing, I, I got, I partnered with um, Pat Bradley and uh, Kathy Whitworth was our captain Um, and even playing with Pat after us both winning so many tournaments, you know, being partners and trying to, to win a point for our country, we were really nervous And, um, I mean, it was just a fun time, but a a nervous time. And of course, back then, um, the Europeans weren't, weren't very strong. I mean, we killed them. I think, I don't know, it was 14 and a half to, I don't know what we had a lot of points. Um, but as the years have gone on, the Solheim cup has become a major, major competitive event. Um, you know, the Europeans want to, to beat the U S team and the U S team wants to beat them and And the goal of most players is to get on the Solheim Cup before they even mention winning a golf tournament. So it's become a a, a, it's a wonderful competition, though, I think for you to root for your country is really fun and exciting. And um, I know when I was there and you're, you know, you've got all the European teams yelling for the European players and the U.S. uh, rooting for the U.S. players. It's really, really a fun event. And if people want to go to a great event, that's one to go to
1: yeah and then and then you get to you kind of get to come full circle you then captain the team in 05 mm-hmm. uh, and i should point out in 90 well you already pointed it out you won in 05 you're the captain you win again um but the pressure's on that's i'm curious about one part of it it's it's eight eight after uh going into the final day of um singles and so you have to kind of pick the perfect lineup i think you have 12 players you have to pick the perfect lineup because you're dead even going into it what's what's like the deliberation like again it's you know unsurprisingly it's a who's who of of top golfers at that point
2: yeah you don't you don't know who they're going to play you when you uh get your lineup if you put whoever's name is first you don't know who they put first Oh, I see pretty much you. And I wanted to win some points early. So I was heavy at the top with some of my best players. And then I kind of went a little bit neutral with my really good players, but maybe the ones that weren't playing as great as the other ones. Um, and then you kind of go strong. How do you, you know, how do you want to finish? And so once you make your lineup, you kind of try strategy wise, you're trying to think, what are they going to do? And then they put the list together and then that's pretty much how they play. So you don't know who they're going to play. Interesting you set up okay. that lineup uh, for whatever you think. So I believe in winning early. So I put a lot, I was really top heavy and put some of my best players early and, um, and they didn't do that as much as I did. And we ended up winning, but, you know, to me, even, even now it's, it's, it's a little bit closer, but, to me, the U.S. team has always been better in singles, um, and I think that they have on that last day they have a good chance to win because they, I feel like they are better. But it's getting tough now. The European team, you know, they really want to beat U.S., and so it's it's really you know I I I love it. I I don't like watching it. I'd rather be playing. <laughs> Because right. I, I get really nervous <laughs> yeah. watching our team because I, I just, we need to win the cut back. We've lost it now two years in a row or two years out of four years. Right. And, um, so they're going to be playing in Spain next year. And I just, I really want us to win back. And it's tougher when you're going to their country because they get a lot of support as we do in the U S and this past year in Toledo, um, You know, we had a lot of fans and a lot of European fans could not come over because of COVID, which was really sad because, I, you know, I like even competition. I don't root against the other team. I want us to win with the best team we've got and the best golf we've got. Um, So it was kind of sad they didn't have as many people rooting for them, but yet they did beat us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, and your strategy, it, it is true, your strategy of like loading up early and you know, just kind of getting a couple of you know big performances paid off because in yeah. that particular 05 one, I think you won five of the first six or six of the first seven, and it just kind of set the tone for the day. Yeah, you uh, need to win points early
2: because then the team gets to see that coming up on the board and it just motivates them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: and also it must have been. Obviously, you had a a nice, long, obviously massively successful career, um, and then into the into the you know early two thousands, you basically retired, like you know, kind of o two o three. You're for the most part done playing on the LPGA tour, but then to be involved with the Solheim Cup and then you know and and captain the team must have been nice to be able to you know connect with like the next generation of players. Yeah, yeah it was,
2: and you know, Julie. Julie was our captain and and it was me and uh, Pat Hurst and Wendy Ward were assistant captains. And I mean, it was fun still being involved. Um, Julie Julie Inkster was the captain uh, for the, for the three years before Um, we won two of them. And then they were trying for a three-peat. So they made her captain again and we didn't win that last one, but um, which was really hard for me. I had a tough time. I've never been on a losing team and I mean you know when the first Solheim Cup and then uh, you know captaining and then I was captain of the juniors and never losing um, I took it hard and the players did I felt I felt really bad for them and um you know and like I said, I don't drink, but I had a drink that night because I was <laughs> so I needed to find happiness somewhere and I just <laughs> really struggled with our team not winning um it just broke my heart but um, but, you know, you're going to lose one once in a while. And it was just really hard for me to, to deal with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and actually something something I wanted to ask you going back for a second and, and we'll circle around to this a little bit more. Um, but you grew up, obviously, in New Mexico, as we talked about. Kathy Whitworth is from New Mexico and came. I, I think I read she won 88 tournaments or something crazy like that. I mean, obviously, the tournament was the the tour was different. Um But when you were a young girl growing up in New Mexico, did you look up to her as, you know, kind of an idol or something like that? Or did you have a lot of much of a relationship? Did you ever cross paths?
2: Well, you know, um, Texas keeps claiming her and and her mom and her aunt. Played in the women's the New Mexico Women's State Amateur. I got to meet her mom and, and her aunt before I ever met. Really, I mean, I met Kathy, but I met I really had to form a relationship with her mom and her aunt before I ever had a relationship with Kathy. And um, love Kathy Whitworth. She was um, a character when you played with her. She she kind of beat herself up verbally because um, she didn't like what she did sometimes. But she had a short game that was one of the best short games I ever saw. Um, and, and it was just really fun playing with her, and she was always so nice to the younger generation of players. Uh, as as mo- most of the older players did, like you know, uh, Donica Pony and and Palmer, Sandra Palmer, and you know those players were really really. Um, they always supported the younger player because I think that they they knew that that was the next generation that was going to make that tour grow, and so they were always very supportive. You know, and, uh, Joanne Carner, she was just. They were just awesome people, Carol Mann, when she was out there. Um, so it was really fun to be able to play with those ladies and and be able to be a part of the 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 great tour that it was, even before us. And it was very competitive even before us. And and like I said, they just kind of motivated us to be that next generation of great players.
1: Yeah, it's funny, Joanne Carner, in your early years before kids um, and when you were winning, I think what was it, seventeen tournaments? Your first couple of years, she had a quote we're all trying to steal nancy's birth control pills so far we've been <laughs> unsuccessful <Yeah. laughs> self-preservation <Yeah. laughs> um i'm curious so you had when when you started off you had yeah you had a caddy named roscoe jones um for like five years uh, through that first you know incredibly torrid start to your career and then and then later on, you had a caddy named Dee Darden, who had also caddied for like Beth, Beth Daniel and Patty Sheehan, um, mm-hmm. each of them for like five years. The, the latter, Dee Darden, was like a fighter pilot in Vietnam. Yeah, was like was, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, what was the relationship with the caddies like? I mean, what, you know, it's it, it, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, um, well, Roscoe, his real name was Kim Jones.
2: Roscoe was his caddy name, and Roscoe was um, a character. Um, He, I'm not sure how long he worked me. I'm I'm gonna say 13, 14 years. Um, I fired him seven times during those 14 years. He was, it was a love hate relationship, but he was, he was such a great caddy. He really was. I, I. I have to give him credit for making me the aggressive player that I was because he pretty much, you know, he gave me the yardage and he, he was pretty much, let's go for it. Um, and he let me find my limits, which you have to, when you first get on the LPJ tour, you need to learn what to do, what not to do, you know, what's going to make the difference in a bogey and a double bogey. And he pretty much just, you know, guided me right to being very positive and very aggressive, um, he did drink a lot, which I think that was part of our issues of me firing him, but he was a good soul. And unfortunately he's not with us anymore, but, um, but he was really a great caddy. And I think he, he helped me become the player I did on the LPGA tour because he, like I said, he let me be an aggressive player. Um, and then I had, I had probably a, a few little caddies in between trying to find that next caddy and D. Darden was, um, a great caddy. He was an older gentleman, um, you know, was always there working hard, uh, giving me uh, the chance to be the best I could be out on the golf course. Um, He took his job very seriously and uh, took our relationship as player caddy very seriously. And um, he was really, really great caddy. And then I finished with Tom Thorpe, who caddy for me for quite a few years. He was a younger caddy, um, but just a good soul, worked really hard. He's still, he's not caddying anymore, but just really kind of stopped caddying a few years ago um but great caddy um my best friend out there on the tour got me through my divorce uh you know kind of you, you, your caddy is kind of like your hairdresser you share all your thoughts with them and um he was really my great finishing caddy and and uh, we went a lot of tournaments together too so it, it the the caddy player relationship was important i mean that caddy had to really know what your emotions and your feelings were all about you know what to tell you um if you're down for a few holes or you know how to kick you in the butt if you needed it um how to sympathize with you but not sympathize with you if that makes sense um you know cuz i didn't like that you know poor me thing at all i didn't want him to baby me at all um cuz i knew when i needed to you know just pull it, pull my act together and start playing well. But, um, but those caddies are, were very important uh, to help you. They were family. Um, and I think a lot of caddies on the LPJ tour were family caddies, you know, back in the day were not treated right. They were treated, you know, like second-class citizens, but it changed eventually with the players fighting for them and, and making people realize that they were great people. You might get a, one bad, one bad egg every once in a while, but uh, but otherwise, the players are, and the caddies had great relationships, and they were like family. Um, and uh,
1: when 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 you were growing up, who were the the players that you looked up to? And it could be when you were, you know, kind of 9 and 10, just before you were starting to really take off, or even like in high school and college. Who were the players that you looked at, and you're like, oh, man, you know, if someday. <laughs> well, <laughs> Karner was definitely my idol. She She played.
2: The very few times we could watch her on television, she was um, the player that you never knew she was playing good or bad. She always had a great attitude. Um, there was a lot of excitement when you watched her, uh, a lot of expression when she made a putt, when she missed a putt. Um, it was just she was just fun to watch. And then you look at the the player like Kathy Whitworth and um, how she played the game, um, you know, was a great player. Um, had a lot of class and style when you watched her, um, you know, Carol, Mann. I got to meet Carol and, and Kathy when they came to Roswell and did a clinic there. And they were great. I mean, I got to meet them. Donna Capone was a player that I watched. I had a really slow backswing. She had a really slow backswing. We're very good friends now and we were back in those days, but I watched her and learned a lot from her. Of course, she won a few U S opens that I never did win. Yeah. Um, but it was fun to to watch those players um, because, I, I mean, they were really class and style on the LPG tour. They're the ones besides the 13 founders that help our tour grow um, and open doors for us. So it was fun to be a part of that era, to be able to play with them before they phased out and I phased in. Um, but you know, Sandra Palmer was another one that was just, you know, just the neatest lady, and always enjoyed playing with her when I when I could uh, practice rounds. So it was it was fun to to learn from some of the best.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, Mickey Wright, um, who I guess her career, her official career was probably ending right before yours began, but you 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 played together one time. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he shot that well. I mean, I think he shot like in the 80s. But her her quote afterwards was, even after shooting in 80, it was clear she had it, whatever it is uh, about you. Well, I have another story on that one, because um,
2: we were just at the founders at Upper Montclair, New Jersey last week. And I won that tournament in 79 and I beat Mickey Wright. Oh, wow. That was the last tournament she could have won. And and the the guy that wrote the story years ago, we cannot figure out why she played that week and what she was really doing there because she wasn't playing a lot. Um, But she played there that week. We uh, there was five of us that finished in the tie, went into a five way playoff. Um, And on the we started on the 16th hole, which is a par three. And we all hit. Um, Mickey hit the first shot after drawing straws and she hit it about three feet, four feet from the hole. And then all of us had to hit after that. And I ended up being, I hit my shot on the green. Everybody else was everywhere else. And I ended up making that 25 foot birdie putt right to left break. And then she had to make hers. And we were the only two that went on to 16. And uh, I won on 16 with a birdie. So I got to play with her and, I, and I, I told the story last week about how, you know, here you are, you're playing against Mickey Wright, who she could kill it. I mean, and she wore tennis shoes because her feet were so bad. But to be able to beat her in the last tournament, she probably would have won. But yet how for a moment, as I was on the, on the green, accepting my trophy, how I felt a little sad or I felt sad, not a little sad, I felt sad that I beat this great champion. And then I kind of joked that that only lasted for a short moment because then I was like, I beat Mickey Wright. I mean, <laughs> it was such a great feather in my cap to be able to say that I did that because she was such a great player and class and beautiful swing, one of the most beautiful swings I'd ever seen.
1: Yeah. Um, and Jan Stevenson, I guess, when early on there was, actually might've been your agent, IMG, might've put together some kind of uh, outing where this is when you were just coming into the, on, onto the tour and they wanted to, you know, kind of get you in front of a couple of the other professionals. And apparently you were like duck hooking it all over the place. And Jan Stevenson said something like, you know, she's never going to make it. <laughs> and, and she's quoted as <laughs> saying like, and everybody never lets me forget that I, I had that call. <laughs> well, we, we, we were
2: all with IMG. It was me and Jan and Laura Baugh and um uh one more player that was um f- oh uh Floyd Marlene Floyd so okay. we we were the four players that female players that were with IMG and we did outings together uh like for Newsweek magazine and stuff like that we did outings like every monday just to make a, a living to get us you know to the next tournament at least for me it was that way sure. um but yeah i got to know Jan at a very young age uh, as i came out on the tour
1: right That's that's funny. Um, And um, uh, I'm curious, your relationship over the years with the various LPGA commissioners. Um, I know that uh, uh, Ray Volpe was the commissioner, I think, when you were a rookie. Yes. He said something like the demands on her were insane. And yet... She she always handled it, you know, with with, you know, with a smile and with grace and everything. And he said, you know, to this day, this is years later when I'm under pressure, I think about her and how she would have handled it, which is incredible to think that you were, again, 20 or 21 years old. Um, But what what, what's kind of been your relationship with the commissioners over the years? Obviously, you're in a unique position um, where you can probably you know, kind of impart your, you know, your views on them. Um, And all sports are always in need of, you know, kind of improvement or things you can do to increase visibility. Do you, do you have a lot of communication with the commissioners over the years?
2: Um, I always did. Uh, I know Ray Volpe, he was a great commissioner and it was, it was fun to be able to play, you know, under him as our commissioner. And um, he, um, you know, he, he did a great job, I think promoting the LPGA tour back in those days, because it was pretty tough. It wasn't easy. Um, but I feel like I've had a pretty good relationship with all of them. Um, Charlie Meacham was a great commissioner. Uh, Mike Juan was a great commissioner and now Molly, who is just, you know, our, our second female commissioner. Um, you know, I, have always, I always offered any help that I could, uh, any advice that I could, uh, help them with, um, as they came on board as our commissioners. And I feel like I've had good relationships with them. They call me, I I've, call them when I'm concerned about something. And so I've always tried to stay involved any way that I can, because I think it's important um, that, that you can help your commissioner. They can help you, you kind of you know, uh, trade ideas and come up with good ideas to help with the LPGA tour, or with the sponsor, or do something for the sponsors, even do stuff for the players. I think it's just important. I've, I've always wanted to stay involved with the LPGA and promote my tour. Yeah. Um, and I always say my tour because I feel like I'm still a part of the LPGA. It was my other family besides my uh, my me- immediate family um, and still have a relationship with so many players out there and try and stay in contact with the younger generation. And, you know, just to mentor them any way that I can, because it's it's not easy. You're not you're out there. You're young. Um, you know, everybody wants a piece of you, especially when you're winning and uh, to be able to you know give them any advice that they need or any help. Even finding a caddy, um, it's just important to stay involved, and and I think a lot of players do do that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's and it's interesting. I um, I I did some work for a couple of uh, NFL teams and 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 a few other teams also, but uh, social media, which obviously is a phenomenon of the last you know kind of ten or fifteen years, um, a lot of teams. At the team level, want to use it, but they really don't want their players spending a lot of time on it because, you know, you don't want to give another team bulletin board material and all that. And I remember reading and this is this is going back five or six years ago, but that the LPGA had embraced social media, like at the institutional level, because it's an opportunity for the players. I mean, first of all, they're not part of a team, right, they're individuals, but also um, it, it, it's a, it's a great vehicle to try to, you know, let the personalities come through of the players. And it was kind of an, and it, it seemed at least, you know, a couple of years ago, it seemed to be having some success to, you know, to, to get those personalities across. Um, is that, is that something, you know, do you think, and that's important for all sports, right. To let the individual personalities come through. Is that something that you see the tour doing, or, you know, maybe you could do a better job at. You know, I think they're
2: very involved in social media for sure. These players are out there uh, promoting uh, the tour and themselves to, you know, get people to watch. I think it's very important. Um, I mean, I, I do social media. I've done, I do more now than I used to. I, you know, I just, I hate cell phones. I, I hate having to do stuff, but then you kind of get involved and then you're like, okay, I I'm lukewarm. i get really into it. And then I like fade off. And then I come back and, um, and I really, I really try and be that positive person because social media is brutal. If yeah. you, you know, and po- politics are really bad, uh, with anybody. So, um, I, I really like to say positive things. Um, there's times I would like to say negative things, but I don't, um, you try not to go there because they really beat you up if you do that. Right. And I think when you're a person a sports personality too, they, they really jump on you pretty good on that. I, So I, but I think it's important. I think you need to stay um, reveling out there with people and let them know you're still around and, you know, and, and share your life with them because I think a lot of athletes have kind of faded away and you don't even know if they're around what they're doing. And I think it's important to stay in people's lives. And, and if you can bring positive stuff stuff too, and keep them informed on what's going on, I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I I think, I think, you know, people and fans want to hear from you know the, the players players you know the, the current ones, but also the ones that they grew up watching. Wow. Uh,
0: uh,
1: you mentioned you know the U.S. Open, uh, obviously in you know a, a, a you know crazy successful career. I'm guessing that you know one of the you know one of the shortcomings that you see is is that the seconds in the U.S. Opens. Was there any one that really just kind of hit you hard?
2: Well, you know the when I finished second to Hall of my issue there was I was in the final group and I had a pair of pants that the zipper was pretty much broke during about the third hole. Um, and, and um, I always, the, the thing with zippers back then, they were like this plastic zipper. You could zip it down and zip it back up and it would kind of fix itself. Well, mine wouldn't do that. Oh, it no. kept coming apart. Every time I went down to read a putt, it would kind of open up. And so, you know, I wasn't focusing on winning the Open. I was focusing on not showing everyone my underwear pretty much. <laughs> um, so really and truly, I think I could have won that Open if I would have been able to focus totally on what I was doing. Yeah. Um, the one that hit me the hardest was the last one when Allison Nicholas beat me uh, at Pumpkin Ridge. Um, I, had, I had pretty much told myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the best shape I can. I worked with a trainer for two years. And I finally, my golf game was there. Everything was good for that U.S. Open. And I really thought I was going to be able to win it. I was in great shape, felt great. My golf game was good and and didn't really, I didn't think Allison Nichols could beat me. I, I just think mentally, I didn't think she was, was better than I was at that time. Uh, but her golf game, she brought her best game out that Sunday and ended up beating me And and it was really, I, a, I finished second 49 times in my career. And that second killed me. It was really, really a mental breakdown for me um, because it took a long time for me to get over because I knew it was probably going to be the last chance um, for me to win a US Open because I totally dedicated myself to trying to, to do that. Sure. And, um, and when I finished second, it was really hard. I, I cried every time I got interviewed about it. Um, at least almost a year uh, after it happened, I was still, I would still get all choked up when I would try to answer the question about finishing second there. So it, it was tough. And, and, um, you know, I, I wish I could have won a U.S. Open, um, just wasn't meant to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what was, what was the, I mean, obviously a career with a ton of highs like yours, is there one moment where you were like, that was the moment? And it could have been winning the you know the New Mexico amateur you know as a twelve year old. But was there one moment where you are like, my God, that it doesn't get better than that?
2: Uh, it was I, I I have to say it wasn't my individual win. It was when I was a captain of the Solheim Cup in two thousand five, and my team won. Yeah. It was um, you know to be the captain of the United of a United States team, and to bring twelve women together in two years and make them a team. And for us to be able to play great golf and beat another great team, in the European team, um, you know that was my aha moment. I think that uh, it was it was just the best feeling to be able to
1: to accomplish that. Sure. Since you know, kind of let's say the you know early two thousands, who who are the golfers that you love to watch now? Uh, you know, and it could start with you know Annika Storenston back in the you know late '90s and early 2000s. But who are the ones where, like on a Saturday or Sunday, you want to watch?
2: Well, I, I love well because I was a, a assistant captain in my pod. I had Lexi, I had Nellie, and I had Jessica. Sure. Um Brittany Altamari. I love to watch. She's a great putter. Doesn't hit the ball real far, and I would really like to see her win. Um, uh, gosh, uh, Lydia Cole. Uh, great little player, um, uh, Angel Yin uh, is one of them. She she played on the, on the uh, Solheim Cup uh, when I was assistant captain. Um, but, um, so many great players really that are playing the game right now, American players, and it's been fun to watch them. Uh, Laura Davies, who still plays, um, is one of my favorites, even though she is a European player, (laughs) I love to root for her. She's just one of my favorites, um, to be able to watch. I'm so glad she's still out there. Um, you know, Julie's not playing anymore, or at least not very much. And Julie Inkster was one of my favorites to watch because she was my generation, so she was still competing late in life. And uh, I kind of always kind of wanted to see her win once in a while, just because she kind of represented our age group. Sure. Uh, so it was fun watching her, but, but the young players are, are they're just awesome and they're, and they're great players. Uh, they all still need to work on their putting. They're still not, I think Nellie's the only one I would say is really a great putter.
1: Right. I, I read somewhere that you thought, and this, this is going back a few years, so I'm curious if it's still the case that of all the players out there now, Lexi Thompson's probably the one that reminds you the most of yourself in terms mm-hmm. of her game, but also just looks like she's enjoying herself out there, which is obviously yeah. one of the hallmarks of your career.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, watching Lexi, um, you know, I took big divots, not quite as big as she takes, <laughs> um, but she's, she's, um, you know, just a great player. And, Um, I wish and I would hope to see her win a little bit more uh, because she's got the talent. She still needs to work on her putting. Um, That's where her weakness is more than anything, because she's got everything else is great. And I think, you know, last week or at the at the founders, she finished second. I saw her make some putts I hadn't seen her make. So maybe she's getting to, you know, work on that. And, you know, it just can't be a mental thing. You've got to be able to to get up to a putt and just feel it and make it Um, because you become very mechanical when you're not making putts and you have to think too much about it. Um, But I think if she can get her putting going and she's still young, I mean, she
1: could win a lot of tournaments still. Yeah. Um, Is there, was there a player and it, it doesn't have to be from your generation, but like, you know, the name Beth Daniel comes to mind in that she's playing at Furman when you're at Tulsa, you're obviously competing, you win the individual, but she's on a Furman team that wins the, the you know, the national title. And then you guys are you know basically pros, your careers are, you know, aligned with each other. Is there a player where there was like a friendship and, and, and a respect, but also like a, like a competitive rivalry? Was it like that with all of them or were there certain players that kind of stood mm-hmm. out a little bit?
2: Well, I mean, I, I know on Sunday when I was playing against Bradley or Sheehan, I knew that I had to play my best golf, um, Beth Daniel, great player. Um, I mean, she had a great swing, um, a little bit temperamental. Uh, I think if she could have controlled that a little bit more, she probably would have won more, mm-hmm. but really a great, a great player. Betsy King, who really didn't start winning till she was on the tour, I think four or five years before she won, and she was a great player in collegiate golf. Um, Meg Mallon, who won the U.S. Open, great player, good friend. Um, I mean, there are players like that 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 really play great golf, and it was fun playing with them on the LPGA Tour. Um, And and I think, you know, when you play with players like that, they always bring your best game uh, out of you when you're playing against them. So it was fun, a lot of fun playing
1: with them. Um, talking about the Furman team and Betsy King and, and Beth Daniel. Um, you're you're at some collegiate tournament and somebody uh trashed your van. Uh the, the team van <laughs> soaked it and TP'd it and egged it or oh,
2: whatever yeah. it
0: was. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were big rivals. Furman and Tulsa were big rivals and um, we had a van and I, and we know, of course we knew it was them. We knew the there was that did it, they, they had shaving cream and soap. And I don't know what else they put all over the outside of our van, but, um, yeah, we knew it was them. And I can't yeah. remember if we retaliated or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, Somebody just said that in the middle of the night, they could just hear Nancy Lopez outside saying, you know, I know it was you Furman, I know it was you. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Those are fun times. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, well, I guess the last question I'll, I'll ask you is um, if, if you had one course to play, what would it be? Does does one stand out above the others?
2: Well, because, you know, on the LPGA Tour, we never really played the big name courses. Um, now they're starting to do that, which is great. But um, just with my experience now of being married to a gentleman that loves to play golf um we have traveled now lots of different places, but I'm gonna to have to say right now that Whistling Straits is still my favorite in okay. Kohler, Wisconsin. Um, we played there and it was there was no wind, which the, the wind always blows there, um, but it was a perfect day of golf. And I, and I always say that, you know, the lake was like glass. Uh, the temperature was like perfect, 73 degrees. Sunshine was out and my hair looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> relative no
1: awesome. humidity. <laughs> that's great. Um well on that note I should uh that's <laughs> that's uh that's that's perfect. That that by the way is just a, a great course. Yeah. Um but well Nancy Lopez thank you so much for coming on to Chasing Hardware. It's been great hearing the stories. I mean obviously your your career um was uh your your career was transformational for the for the LPGA tour. And I don't think anybody's ever burst on the scene like you did in 1978 in any sport. Um, and it's just been great, you know, kind of hearing the stories and the anecdotes from, uh, you know, a, a great career in, uh, in golf. Thank you very much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you, Nancy. Take care. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in And the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time.